Uh, it's clearly an intelligent man. Just, I'm basically Scorsese. It's what you're saying. You know, it's interesting the two different art forms that you all have decided to tackle. I think he went with the one that has I'm, a little bit more skin in the game, a little bit more money. Yes, to, yes. To, yep. I think he made the right call. I think uh, skipping film school was your, a bad call. <laughs> still waiting for your your passion podcast project. I don't know what that oh, will be. Decades in the making. Alright, hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. And this week, uh, we are taking a look at another movie that, you know, we thought would be uh, an Oscar juggernaut, maybe at the beginning of the year. It didn't quite end up that way. So we're taking a look at Martin Scorsese's Silence. And to do that... Finally, the return of Michael Denniston. So thanks. Don't thanks. give me that shit. Don't no, give me that no, shit. No, you had to skip because because we did L and you very intelligently said, Recuse do, myself. do we really yeah. want two dudes talking yeah, yeah. about a movie about rape? Probably not. So I appreciate you coming back for Silence, a movie that I know you were looking forward to just about as much as I was, right? I think I'm one of those people. I'm on the record on my podcast, uh, War Machine versus War Horse, which you can find at War Machine Horse. If you have to. Also a part of the following films network. Sure. If you have to, you know, go there. Bypass Dave's show if you if you can and just go directly to me. But that's impossible. I remember can't do it. I remember uh, <laughs> saying on my show, uh, Ben Zook was trying to get me to do uh, Oscar predictions and I only like to do them when I've not seen anything about the films. I just like to blindly even. say yes and that no. That one. <laughs> and I said silence, nothing's coming to Scorsese. That was not a judgment on the material, but I just saw the little IMDb. Uh, two priests travel to Japan and attempt to locate their mentor and propagate Catholicism. And I was like, nope, no interest. <laughs> if it's Jack <laughs> Nicholson hamming it up in Boston and gangsters, yes, not that. Uh... And then I saw the thing, and I, I really liked it. But yeah, this is something that, due to Scorsese's tinkering, uh, they didn't get out screeners. There were a lot of actual practical reasons why it's probably been ignored. It's late in the game, and it's also it's a really fucking difficult sit. It's a tough movie. It this is. is there's, this is not La La Land, and I'm not no insult La La Land, but I'm saying it's not fun in the slightest. There's nothing really enjoyable about uh, these characters and what they're going through. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. Like, I actually, I saw this uh, when I was on one of my many interviews. I had time when I was in San Diego, so I decided, should I see San Diego? Nah, I'll go see a movie. <laughs> so, so I saw, I You're sat through one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I've been there <laughs> before. In, whatever. Go in for silence. <laughs> yeah, of course, that's the natural decision to make. So I saw this at like I think like nine in the morning. Uh, a three-hour movie. So you know, you grab breakfast and then go check out. You know. Uh, Jesuit missionaries in Japan and I this was one of those movies that I was really looking forward to because as someone I mean I talked about this the last episode but as someone who you know used to be religious and and left faith like I I find faith really interesting uh and I think and I think it's always interesting to kind of see someone like Scorsese put out a passion project because like 
pretty much every movie I've seen of his at one level or another, I've enjoyed. Like, I don't think I can think of a single Scorsese movie that I watched and I was like, well, that was bullshit. I hated that. So to see something that he really cares about, I was already interested. And I happen to think Andrew Garfield is kind of an underrated actor, at least before this year. I mean, now he's got an Oscar nomination for Hacksaw Ridge, and I still maintain that he's been nominated for the wrong movie. I think he's good in that. But I think he's legitimately great in this role and kind of had he showed depths that I wasn't aware he had as an actor. And I don't know if it was because of, you know, I've heard the production itself was difficult to get through. I mean, which makes sense given that it's Scorsese and his passion project. Uh, but I was really impressed with him. I think uh, I think is a really challenging role. Uh, because there's a lot of moments where he's just on screen alone and you see kind of the degradation of of his person and of his mind. And that's a really hard thing to portray without it being over the top and kind of clawing at your eyes and pulling your hair out. And I don't think it ever gets to a ridiculous level for him. So I was really impressed. Well, I mean, the reason for that is simple. He can't pull his hair out because oh, it's, it's too amazing thick. amazing hair. Good God. Just, so uh, speaking of that, before you continue, when I was watching this trailer <laughs> with my wife, they have a shot of him like with full lustrous hair. There's mm-hmm. like it, it changes throughout the movie, but there's one particular shot where it's just – it's ridiculous. It doesn't – it. if I didn't know any better, I'd think it was a wig. And my wife just leans over to me and she's like, that can't be real. Like that – and I'm like, I know, but it is. That's, that's Andrew Garfield. You have Garfield. to believe. Yeah. If, if you have, <laughs> I have faith in that. That's <laughs> To believe in God, it is that he created that. That's it is a work of art. Um, it cannot be an accident. That's <laughs> – I think it's a difficult part to play. I mean, I'm a fan of his uh, social network. He's he's the best performance uh, in that, that film. Yeah, uh, he's the most interesting character in that film. Um, <clears throat> I would say he's not the most interesting character in this film. Uh, okay. You know, the priests themselves. It's a difficult role because uh, a missionary is not. You know, they're fully formed. Or at least that's the that's what they're putting out there. There, mm. there's not any uh, wiggle room as far as their beliefs or changing their mind. Their presence is there to change others, and mm-hmm. that's you know that's not really you know. Would it be fascinating to watch, for instance, a, a political campaign? If we're watching a film about a presidential candidate, uh, and there are a lot of movies about politics, but what makes them interesting is seeing the stuff behind closed doors. If mm. it was just a film that just took place at a rally where you just see them spewing bullshit, is that really that interesting to ha- right. hit that drum over and over again? The film obviously goes a little bit further, and you it's subtle, though. I mean, there's there's clearly a division between Garfield and Driver, uh, and right. you see that when uh, the screws are being turned on these people, and they're being turned because of them and their presence. Like, what... They're offering it, and I I like that. I like I feel like you know people are gonna have a problem with the length, but you kind of unfortunately for a story like this, you probably need the length. I don't know how you do a ninety minute version of this. No, but I think you can do a two big. hour and ten minute version of this. And I don't think it has to be two hours and forty. I mean, there are. I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's one of those movies that while you're watching it, you definitely feel that amount of time. And I think looking back on it, I think that's a positive. But I could imagine someone who just watches a movie once being frustrated by the length of this movie. You know, the, your average well, moviegoer. I, I can imagine people who, you know, watch this multiple times may be more frustrated. I, you know, this mm. is a film that I, I greatly admire 
uh, I, I, I think it is truly great. I think it's one and probably the one that will be talked about the most out of this crop of 2016 films. I can see this in 20 years. Uh, there's still been great debate about it and interest. I could see and, that. Sure. Um, you know, long after people have stopped talking about Manchester by the Sea, which is a film that I probably enjoy more. And I identify more with that than I clearly do with these two. Yeah, I'm not sure this is a movie that can be enjoyed. I mean, I think (laughs) I definitely admire it more than I enjoy it, if that makes sense. Like the craftsmanship that went into this is pretty impressive. Like Scorsese directs the hell out of this movie. Like I'm not – there's I can't think of many other directors that I could give them this subject material and want to sit through two hours and 40 minutes of it. Well, I mean, Barry Jenkins can't make this movie, right? Kenneth Lonergan can't make this movie. No. That's just not – that's a part of it being a passion project in, right. in that way. And also I think you have to have the track record and the confidence uh, where this is a film that it speaks to almost his entire filmography as yeah. far as – No one else gets interest. this movie made. Like if Scorsese well, yeah, behind this, it's never yeah, happened. Yeah, and that, that goes back to like you know Denzel Washington and Fences, um, right. which is a, a film that – I have issues with the direction of, but you have to be honest and say, unless Denzel Washington made this project happen, is the director's probably not happening. So you have to right. take the good with the bad. His his performance, uh, the performances of in that film are great. Um, you know, I, I guess my original point was, uh, do great films need that rewatchability? Do you does this need to be something? Uh, it is so strikingly different from uh, a Moonlight, a La La Land, Manchester. Is this something that we need to base its quality on wanting to double down and see it again? This is something I do want to see again, but we were talking off mic about Last Temptation of Christ, and I admit that's also a great film. It had been 13 years since I've seen it, and I kind of passed on doing it for my podcast, (laughs) not just out of, uh, you know, uh, deferring to you, but also like, do I really want to sit down and watch that? Let's Mm. put on Mean Streets instead. That's going to be more fun. Um, so I get that's, you know, how do you gauge that? How do you j- judge the quality of something on that rewatchability versus that maybe this is meant to be a one time or very rare experience? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot in there. I think I think in general, I think the greatest movies are ones that have value on rewatch, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's something you want to rewatch over and over again. Like, you know, we were talking off mic again about movies from our uh, from our high school years, and I probably watched Go 17 times, but I don't place it in, like, you know, the top 25 films of all time. So it's not as Hold simple. Hold on a second. Are you not – you're saying that Doug Lyman, John August Go is not the same as Silence? It's not quite. It's just not quite in that upper echelon. So you're reading it wrong. That is a treatise on faith, sir. <laughs> so I think – And colored hair. <laughs> True. Uh, and Timothy Oliphant. So, I mean, that sure automatically was. wins. Yes. My God. Uh, that just brings it up a couple notches automatically. Better than silence. <laughs> Go is better than silence. I like it. There's there's your hot take for this episode. But I do think that every movie that is great is something that will give you more on rewatch. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to rewatch it or that it's going to be this like, oh, I can't wait to sit down and uh, watch 160 minutes of silence. Like that's not necessarily going to happen, but <laughs> that's the marketing campaign. for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put that on the poster. Uh, <laughs> but I think this is a movie that, I mean, it might take me a while. Like it might actually take me a couple years to rewatch this, but when I do, I do feel like I'm going to get something different out of it and you can't say that about every movie and i think 
I think, you know, there's been a lot made, a lot of jokes made online about how Silence is one of those movies that no one really has a take on it. It's just kind of like, well, I have to think more about it because I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's good. Right. But uh, and it is that type of movie that it does. It throw. I love that it puts a lot of questions out there into the world. It's not a movie that gives you easy answers. It's not a movie that's like, oh, well, this person lost his faith and this one regained it. I don't think you even know for sure by the end of the film where some of your major characters stand because so much of this movie is about their internal process and not necessarily what they say, but what they think. And it is, is it, is it bad that those things don't match up? It reminded me a lot of uh, movie podcasters in a way. I felt like don't insult silence like that. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> well, you know, oftentimes you, you just, you know, and I, I've retweeted some of those those jokes online where people are, are kind of waiting for someone to have the definitive silence take so they can piggyback off of it. Sure. And it is it is a very separate world from ours, obviously, uh, by centuries. Yes. Uh, and I, I think that probably the most interesting thing about it is that Scorsese is, you know, someone, uh, a man who uh, grew up with the faith, but like yourself, sort of lost the faith. But that that's clearly there from Mean Streets on. Uh, it's clearly an intelligent films. man. Just I'm basically Scorsese. It's what you're saying. You know, it's interesting the two different art forms that you all have decided to tackle. I think he went with the one that has a little bit more skin in the game, a little bit more money. Yes, to, yes. To, yep. I think he made um, the right call. I think uh, skipping I'm still film waiting school for was your, a bad call. <laughs> still waiting for your your passion podcast project. I don't know what that will oh, be. Decades in the make. You'll be a part of it. That's all I know. God, you uh, poor God, bastard. <laughs> hell on earth. That's our existence. Um, but these are these are are young men who don't have a lot of experience yet. I mean, they 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 truly are the these sort of almost blank slates. Uh, they they've they've read a lot. They've sort of commented, and they I think are very freely there to inspire people to live a certain way. In this case, through uh, Catholicism. But they don't have the experience, so that's why I brought up movie podcasters because there's oftentimes it's it's that sort of dangerous territory of talking out of your ass about something that you don't know anything about. M- Moonlight's a great example of this. Right. You know, it's a it's a film that I didn't personally connect with, and I just have to admit, well, you know, it's just not my story. I mean, it's it's, right. it's a to- it's a world completely separate from my own. This yeah. You know, these people, that's what they're doing here. They are, they are trying to imprint mm. their world on a place they don't really understand. And they've not chosen to investigate it in the proper way. That's part of the problem I have with, I guess, some of the uh, just initial criticism with it being a sort of white savior story. Because, that, of course, that's what they're fucking selling. They're, they're selling themselves right. as white saviors. They are, they are attempting to emulate Christ in a way. And that's... That's what I find most fascinating about it is that there's this ego in play. That you have to have a great ego to put yourself in that position to say, I am living my life as an example of pure goodness. Right. And you all should live by my example now. Even if you're and, murdered because of it. Just come along. It's fine. Yeah. I'm 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 selling you, you know, snake oil here that you should and that that's where that division comes back between Driver and Garfield because they have two different viewpoints on how to handle uh, other forces and actual genuine, you know, real life, tangible things like pain and death happening right. to these people for their beliefs. And that's, that's where I think that you actually start to see Garfield's character have a little bit of experience, but you know, he doesn't have a fully formed arc or at least a clean standard three X structure arc because right. then Liam Neeson comes back into it. And it's almost like Garfield 
assumes the driver role again. Like it's a, he pulls back. And so he's, he's a difficult character to root for, for, and anyone here is difficult to root for you. Right. I think you're just meant to feel empathy for these people who are being physically tortured to death just for aspiring to a better life. And maybe it's a better life. They don't even really understand. I don't know. There's a deep cynicism in this film. And yeah. there's a struggle. Or don't even know that it will be a better life. Yeah. Just, yeah. It, it just could be, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, uh, given the situation they're in, because I think faith is one of those things that can lift people up kind of indirectly, but it's, it's certainly not a guarantee. Like, so there's, there's still poor farmers uh, in, in a place that, that doesn't accept them. And now you have this different faith, but it probably helps you internally, but does it help you externally? And I think that's what makes the constant kind of discussions and arguments between Garfield and Driver really interesting, is it it would be easy to have two these two characters be essentially the same and be very like driven towards this idea of faith. But the idea that one of them sees like all the terrible things that are happening because of that and start to start to question, like not question my own faith, but should we be doing this? Like, is this the right time? Is this the right place? And I think, and again, it doesn't offer you an easy answer. It doesn't give you an answer at all. It kind of leaves it up to the audience. Like, what do you think? What is, because these people do seem happier when they have a priest with them, but look at what happens to them physically after the priests show up. And that that's part of the, the sort of the, the class warfare and divide in the film that, mm. Uh, I've, I've read where that's ignored. I think that's kind of a dumb criticism because it is from the perspective of these two priests who are, are not there to get into the, you know, economic situation sure. or, or what's going on with this sort of class structure. But clearly it is the poor that gravitate towards them because they're, their lives, they are seeking something better, some sort of purpose other than this fairly miserable existence. And I, you know, I, I think that the film is brave in the way that it makes the, I guess, quote unquote, villains here, the ones who are in villains in the sense that we're seeing them torture people to death. I mean, clearly, I think that get filed under villain, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever the reasons. And those are they're very complicated as far as, you know, outside forces coming in, invading in a way uh, their society those characters are far more three dimensional than our heroes. I think that, and that's a strange thing for audiences to accept really that, you know, you have the inquisitor here played by a comedian. Like I I didn't know that. I was like, Oh, that's a, that's, that's an interesting choice by Scorsese to make him the most sort of lively personality Mm -hmm. in this. And it's, it, it, it makes me question, you know, not only Garfield driver, but, Neeson as far as what they're ultimately trying to accomplish there and is any of it worth it because right. it's just it just feels like if you just left this alone right <laughs> all right what what would really happen here what would really change and I think that's the problem that's that's where you get back to people not having a clear uh viewpoint on this is it's twofold it's it's a difficult film to sit through and watch I'm not saying anything about its quality. It's just tough. And then the other thing is it's probably one that you should watch again because you have all these different interpretations and questions about the characters and where they're coming from. But I haven't done it yet. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. It's been out for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, you know, yeah. give it a little bit more time, maybe yeah. six months. I, I don't know if I want to go back again. This is not everybody wants some. No, this uh, is not is the simple shit. <laughs> So you brought up uh, this idea of the white savior, and it was something I kind of – I wanted to look into after I saw the movie because 
I honestly, as I, as I watched the movie, didn't have – I expected to have a lot of problems with how Asian people were represented in this movie because it is a movie about, oh, these these white guys come in and, and give the word of the Lord. Isn't that great for these Japanese people? Um, and I thought they actually did a pretty good job of having – a lot of different kind of Japanese characters. It wasn't just it wasn't just like, oh well, there these are the people we come to save and they're all the same. They had mm-hmm. actual individual personalities and wants and needs. They weren't all willing to die for religion, which I which I appreciated. Instead of in a lot of movies like this, you would have these white priests go to whatever area and try to kind of talk to the quote unquote savages and give them religion isn't that great. And I don't think we have that here. And actually listen to um I don't know if you know this podcaster, Dave Chen. Uh he's kind of all over the place, but he Never he, heard of him. Yeah, sure. Uh so he kind of talked about the idea that he loved the movie but was uncomfortable with the idea of all of these Asian characters essentially serving the story in a way to inform us about the white characters. And I I get that perspective, but it also is the perspective of the story. The main characters, the protagonists are, you know, Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield. And you can fault, you know, the movie from the beginning for that. But I think given that structure, I'm not sure there's a way to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, uh, does he have a problem with every other movie on the planet that has a main character? probably have to. (laughs) Not a lot of main characters that are Asian, so... Let me tell a story about Dave Chen here. Um, <laughs> before we even started War Machine vs. War Horse, I I'd signed up for the uh, Twitter account, uh, and my uh, co-host at the time uh, had turned me on to Slash Filmcast, which I, I did enjoy for, for a time. Uh, so it's interesting. I've they, listened to him on a bunch of podcasts, and none of them being Slash Film, so... Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, the big well, one. They, they, that, that this was years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess with maybe the original host or whatever, and I, I think Devendra is still there. Uh, mm-hmm. It was Adam Quigley, I think, at the time was one of the hosts, and he left. Um, but I I stopped listening because they they got very nitpicky and very negative about almost everything that that came their way, and you know it just made me feel like, do you even enjoy movies? The funny thing is, though, <laughs> I remember this 2011, great year for films. Uh, David Chin, they did their like top 10 show or whatever. Uh, his pick for that year is Steven Spielberg's War Horse. And <laughs> he got he got a lot of shit from his co-host at the time. Yeah. He got a lot of shit from listeners. And it, it was one of those things where it's like, that is a you know borderline stupid choice, but I didn't think his reasoning was stupid. It was just like, you know, that is so out there that it has to just be something personal to you. There's right. just something about it that connects. And I thought he explained himself fairly well. I guess he got tired of taking shit for it and almost sort of disavowed that. So when we started our podcast, um, my co-host added him on the Twitter as like one of the first follows. Like, hey, let's follow other movie podcasts, right. see what they're talking about, <laughs> and immediately got blocked. He had not, we had not tweeted yet, but he just saw the title <laughs> of Fuck the podcast, you guys. <laughs> War Machine Horse, and I guess thought it was just some sort of troll account for some a joke that was about – Three years too late. It was like we had we were biting our time. He probably time. thought it was finally over. His nightmare was over, and it was like, oh god damn it! Uh, and, to, and to be fair, he did he did unblock because I I uh, actually took the step to email him and be like, dude, we've not even tweeted yet. Like you, what, what's what's going on here? Is it about Warhorse? And I, I mean, it was kind of a funny email. It was like still stings a little bit. <laughs> uh, and he did, he re, he actually responded. He responded within like a few minutes. Oh, there you I'm, go. 
See? So there's good and bad. But I mean, it was like, you know, it worked out. But I thought like, wow, we've really made enemies. Uh, actually. <laughs> Already. Yeah. I'm, and now I'm going to continue to make enemies with Dave Chen. And that's that right. stupid, stupid pick of Warhorse. Yeah, I'm sure he listens to this show. I'm, <laughs> I'm fairly what, certain. Shame, uh, Drive, Moneyball. Like, God, 2011 War really Horse. sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we jump to spoilers, because I want to talk a little bit about the, the ending of the film. Um, I'm not quite ready. I do feel like I need to watch it again because I'm not ready to call it great. I think it was very good. Um, but it is one of those movies, you know, all jokes aside, that does take some thought and some kind of spending some time. It's not a movie that gives you simple answers. It's not a movie that you could just kind of watch it in the background. It is a movie that demands your attention. And I, and I'm glad we have movies like this. I think more movies like this would be better. Uh, I think there's a lot of movies that are disposable and this certainly isn't it. Um, and it's something that I would, I would recommend to just about anybody, uh, but being fully ready to expect them not to not to enjoy the process, because like you said, it is a really tough sit, but I do think it's worth your time. Yeah, just, you know, be your smarter self, I guess. <laughs> be <this>. better. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, if you, if you go into silence, uh, I assume you have some sort of interest, uh, be it Scorsese uh, maybe just the subject matter, maybe the novel it's based on. I, I don't know, but you know, if you're wandering in from whatever the latest, uh, you know, Split, which is probably this film we should have talked about, Dave, and it was a good killing. time. Go see oh, Split, son of a bitch. I liked it for for months. You're like, nope, that is a travesty. That's an insult to. I to was my, wrong. My career. I was wrong. God damn it! It was a good time. Yeah, uh-huh. I enjoyed and, every minute. People of that actually movie. watched it, and this. you will watch that movie and be like, "Fucking Dave, this is a piece of shit." But I really enjoyed that movie. You know what? So. Since I'm not on a podcast for it, I don't pay to watch it. I'm not going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta gotta watch maybe, something. Maybe we'll do it show. when it comes out on video. That's we'll. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, we'll, we'll ride that DVD wave. <laughs> That's right, Just straight to the bank. Absolutely, but no silence. Uh, I. I I think I can see a lot of different opinions on on the film uh, and certainly levels of enjoyment, but yeah, for me, Scorsese he's the best director this year. I I, I don't I don't think that's that's even close. I feel like this is such difficult material that could easily get away from you that I I can't imagine someone else doing it. And I think it's someone that you know this may be. Uh, I hope not, but this could be like his last masterpiece. I think it feels like that certainly that culmination of everything he's done has led to this. Um, but yeah, uh, at the end of the day, I'm still going to throw in Cape fear instead. <laughs> <Fuck Nice. it. laughs> uh, the De Niro laugh. You can't beat it. All right. Uh, so we're going to go to spoilers now. Spoilers. What? Read ahead. Spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you. one big spoiler. That's classified. What? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk about was uh, kind of the – not necessarily the ending of the film, but the lead up to it where Andrew Garfield's character essentially disavows his faith, at least out loud. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, of course, we find out as his body is being burned uh, at the near the end of the film that I think we're meant to 
we're meant to think that he some part of him holds on to that faith because he still has this this carving that he was given earlier in the film. So what did you think about the way the movie either the way the movie dealt with it or the way that Garfield portrayed this idea of holding your faith close to you and yet letting no one know about it? Do you feel like I, I guess I wonder, would you have would you have thought that was the case if we don't have the reveal at the end of the film or is he that convincing of someone who has lost his faith in the last half hour to hour of the movie. I mean, I, I certainly think he is, he's troubled uh, by his, not only his situation, but his faith uh, t- truly tested in the way that it, it all does feel, it, it feels kind of pointless. Uh, at least his, his existence, what he's right. doing. Uh, his, I mean, his job is some sort of weird, like propaganda factory work. It's like you know, it's you. It's very and, odd. Him and him and Neeson sitting side by side, just going through things, and it seemed like Neeson uh, wasn't very good at it either. Like it's inter- it's an interesting choice too in it yeah. because it, it makes it seem like Neeson is the true believer in that yeah. regard that he's trying to hang on, and just Garfield is is catching him like old uh-uh. man. <laughs> Your eyes <laughs> are getting weak, again, old Neeson. man. <laughs> um. I, I took you know I took a little bit issue with the final image uh, of of him you know and his his body burning in that that little comfortable little basket he's in his tub uh, yes his little <laughs> little Yoda hut he's got uh, <laughs> as, he, as he burns into the night sky. <laughs> Thanks for bringing up Star Wars on this episode. That's <laughs> hashtag just... baby. Um, because I thought I you know I I don't feel like I needed that little image like. I right. can see that being misread. I feel like that was maybe a strangely hopeful uh, way to end the film or a pat on the back. Like, you know, mm. he's still, he's still going to heaven. You know, he's still right. going to, right. he's going to get his goods. But um, I, I thought the, the scene uh, earlier with uh, Kikichiro, did I say that yeah. right? I think my, yeah. I think my Japanese is better than it's my better Spanish. It's better than your Spanish. Yes. <laughs> Which is Mama? all sorts of fucked yes. up. I don't know. Um, you know he he he's he's a guy that that performance should have been nominated I think for best supporting uh, actor. Uh, Pretty impressive. I think he's phenomenal. Uh, I love all the sequences with with him and Garfield, um, and the the final one where it feels like you know Garfield's character absolves him in some way. Mm-hmm. But I, I read it much darker. I read it like Kikichiro is giving him some reason to move on. He is elevating Garfield's character into a sense of purpose again. And I felt like what he was, it was actually flipped. It was actually him doing the service to this priest who's, you know, pretty much lost everything and he's sense of purpose. And it, it, it's dark because it's like, okay, is this just an ego trip for Garfield? Is it just something where he just needs to feel like he's a better man in a way? And like, it, it doesn't even matter what he accomplished as long as someone is giving him that pat on the back saying like, you know, I need you for something like, right. and I, he gets that shot where he gets to stand up again. And they're in the privacy of their little home. That was the, for me, that was the, the most powerful moment. The, I don't know. I, I, I think the, uh, the body burning, I, I would have rather, you know, and I'm going to correct Scorsese here. Cause I'm, I'm okay. a podcaster. And Marty, you fucking hack. Yeah. Let's Look, listen up. <laughs> maybe you should take another decade to get this right, Marty. Um, or at least have it be like set. 85 when you're done with this movie. Yeah, me and David Chin on set, and I'm yelling at David Chin, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it's going. Um, I thought, you know, I even thought that as the camera is zooming into this, this, the Yoda hut, that it was going to cut to black before we saw 
before it revealed. I would have really liked that actually. And I think, yeah, yeah. I would have, I would have liked that left as far as like, you know, that puts on the audience as far as, do you have faith in that character that he maintained his faith or not? And yeah, I felt like it was a little bit, a little bit of a cop out and it, it's yeah. strange, you know, cause I'm calling the film great. If you look at my top 10 list, almost every one of the films on my top 10 for this year, I have some sort of glaring criticism, like hell or high water. I'm like the last shot. Is stupid. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> That's number two for me in the year. That ending, <laughs> God, so dumb. But uh, you know, I, I I find myself in my old age gravitating toward those films that have those sort of wild swings and that mm. clear artistic sensibility. It's a choice that Scorsese made, not one that I would make. Uh, but he's far superior to me. So <laughs> glad you I'm cleared that up. Through. I'm glad I'm just, you. <laughs> I'm just here in the audience saying, Marty, you're great. Tell me a story. Come on, like <laughs> let me stroke your ego some more. I think the the scene that interested me most was there was there was basically a sequence where they're trying to convince Andrew Garfield to give up his faith and you know step on this picture of Jesus and the way they convince him is having Liam Neeson talk to him and say do you think your god would want people to suffer and I thought like that was a really interesting way to kind of I mean, it it leaves us in this place where we start thinking about this, like, okay, is my belief more important than the lives of these people and the suffering of these people, which is what all the conversations between him and Adam Driver have been about the entire movie. And I, I like the fact that he had to be faced with it personally. Like he had to be standing there listening to the screams and under and after having Liam Neeson's character tell him exactly what was happening to this, these people. I like that. That's what finally got him to, you know, to take that step. And I thought it was a, it was a really kind of expertly crafted way to get that, that feeling across. It's the flip side of the crucible really in a right. way, like, because the, you know, the, the, the red scare and McCarthyism is all about uh, saving yourself from personal suffering mm. by causing others to suffer. And this, in this case, you can stop all that as long as you're willing to give in yourself, or at least as you said, on the face of it, say I'm wrong. And that's all you have to do. That's all you yeah. have. And so most people, especially people without the faith, are like, just step on the fucking thing, fine. whatever it is. <laughs> fine. I'm you with Kikichiro. To... Just step on it and run away. Take these criterions off the wall and I'll burn them. Just whatever. Like let's, <laughs> Let me go. I don't want to live in the Yoda hut. Yeah, I don't want to be bled out. Thanks. That's good. I mean, I like this beachfront property, but please don't, you know, tie me to a cross out in the ocean. That looks salty. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) That's the issue. Yes, it's too salty. That's the problem. It's going to drown me. No, that's not the issue. Yeah, so I I do think that um, that this movie kind of not only demands you to think while you watch it, but demands a second watch at some point. So Mike thinks it's great. I think it's very good, but by this time next year, I might be saying it's great if I watch it again. So it's it's definitely one that that I think I wish you know another movie. I mean, we talked on your show about 20th Century Women, another movie that I wish had gotten a better release. And this is probably Scorsese's own fault. And honestly, right. I don't think he gives a shit. I think he's just happy. No, no, he finally got this fucking thing made. Like mm-hmm. He's like, great. I'm fucking done. I spent a decade doing it. It's out there if you want to see it. Uh, but I, I do think uh, I do wish more people had seen this this year. Well, I mean, I made fun of him for tinkering with it for maybe too long, but it's a film that is going to be revisited for decades to come, probably. And so probably. that's that's the concern there, not beating it to uh, all the critics awards and making sure you have DVD screeners in time. So that's right. Yeah. Fuck it. 
Marty okay. says fuck it. Yeah. Marty's doing okay. <laughs> like you said, more skin in the game. He made the right call. Um, so before you go, is there anything coming up on War Machine versus Warhorse that you wanted to kind of pimp out here on this show? Uh, yeah, the uh, probably when this releases, the you know if I'm not lazy like I often am, uh, people make fun of me for either not releasing an episode for like a month or, or releasing all at like once. Eight. <laughs> eight and nine days and like, when that when that happens that means i sat down one day one evening and said okay this is all i'm doing tonight is editing this fucking show get it off my back and choke on it you people <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what you will be choking i don't on, understand uh, why people like still are just like mike's such a lovable scamp like <laughs> never no matter what you say jesus <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You could say Mad Max is the worst movie of the last decade, and people would be like, oh, that Mike. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I never got much shit for Mad Max for saying it was all right. Even Moonlight. I I have yet to have anyone tweet me calling me a fucking asshole, and I'm the one banging the drug. Like, it's like, eh, it kind of sucks. That kind of sucks, and La La Land kind of sucks. I think just no one believes you anymore. Like, you just say everything sucks, so it's like, uh, why bother? That's true. If you listen to, if you actually listen to the podcast, I'll say things you're like, yeah, it's pretty good. Or Moonlight, like I want to watch this again. Like right. I, you know, the, yes. so it's it's obviously a little more involved when you talk about something for an hour as opposed to 140 character snarky tweet. One would hope. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, the previous two episodes, uh, 20th Century Women, you mentioned, uh, we just recorded that before this silence conversation, uh, and then the back half of that episode will be looking at two other net bidding films that deal with motherhood in a way, uh, the Grifters. Uh, where she is antagonizing Angelica Houston uh, to try to steal away her child, John Cusack, in this uh, con artist game. And then the kids are all right, where uh, that handsome devil, Mark Ruffalo, comes to steal her family from her with her uh, wife, Julianne Moore. And that episode is with Dwight Hurst of The Broken Brain. So I'm just surrounded by people who know all things about brains, I guess. And it's people. nice that you've taken like the second class version of psychology podcasts and brought brought Dwight in there. I think that's that's very kind of you. I, I will leave you all to that little <laughs> sort of jets, you know, snapping your fingers, feud, whoever the other uh, musical gang was. I don't know. Sharks, maybe? Sharks. Uh, Jesus, I, I Mike. Call yourself a hey, movie podcaster. When I, did, when I did our La La Land episode, uh, Ben Zook challenged me to name my favorite musical, and I said, this is Spinal Tap. And he, <laughs> he said, that doesn't count. And I just wonder why. No, that counts. That's fine. I got no problem with that. That's Sex fine. farm woman. I mean, I yeah. sing that all the time. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> it was on Rock Band, and I scored very highly on it. And then the other one uh, is Silence, as we've kind of alluded to. Uh, I did not tackle The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, we went with Mean Streets and Bringing Out the Dead. So we kind of looked at Scorsese almost in 20-year gaps as far right. as him coming back to these themes of uh, kind of traveling uh, with different crowds and different viewpoints. Uh, clearly in Mean Streets, Harvey Keitel is a very conflicted character with his Catholicism and his uh, need to deal with Robert De Niro's jackassery and all of that. And then uh, Nicolas Cage, John Goodman. Uh, Bing Rames, Bring Out the Dead, as you said yourself off mic, very underrated film, which is currently on HBO Go, I think, HBO Now. So, yeah, those are the two episodes that hopefully will be out or will be out in three months. Who knows? Sounds good. (laughs) All right. uh, So we're going to take a break and then we'll come back with Fangirl Fixation with Brit, uh, where we will not only be talking about the new movies coming out, but also Raging Bull, another Scorsese classic or so we're told. (laughs) 
is the first Twitter poll I voted on. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this. I'm going to out myself. You posted a tweet saying, hey, it's very close. It's neck and neck. So I went to my 12 different Twitter accounts. Oh, like, it all makes sense. Raging Bull, Raging Bull, Raging And I'm like, I wonder if Dave's going to see that suddenly Raging Bull got I did see that. Votes. Yes, all of a sudden it was like, oh, that was all right. <laughs> Somebody uh, really cares. I'm glad to know Andrew it's Mike. To remove it, uh, and that just made me double down. I'm like, let me create another Twitter account and vote for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we will be right back. This is Chris Maynard. I'm host of the following films podcast. Every week I discuss a current release with one of the creative forces behind the film. Whether it's Giles Nutkins talking hell or high water, Leah Thompson discussing her work on Trouble with the Truth, or Jeremy Sandy chatting about his work on Deepwater Horizon. You can find our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you find podcasts. <laughs> Better yet, you can go to followingfilms.com, check out our latest episode, get some film news, reviews, and all sorts of goodness. Uh, that was my son, Jacob. He says hello, and he really wants you to check out the show. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fangirl Fixation with Brit. I apologize for my voice, but I'm deathly ill. Uh, but I'm oh an idiot. Oh, my God. Deathly what? ill. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but I'm an idiot, so I'm still going to record. Yeah. Uh, so, Brit, thanks for joining us for Fangirl Fixation. Welcome. It's my segment. It is. And it's a really good thing we added something to the segment this week because the new movie's coming out, not looking too great. Uh, and there's only two. Yes. And we will get to those. But first, uh, before we jump into Brit's film education again, anything you want to talk about before we get to that or just jump into more Scorsese? Oh my God, I'm obsessed with Pokemon right now. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Oh, uh, see, it's not about me ever. It's only about Dave and what he wants to hear. Yeah, yeah. Go catch them all. Doesn't matter what anyway. I want to go talk about. Anyway, you can catch them all. My after time, we Dave. It's my time. So uh, this week, <laughs> because uh, we were uh, covering Silence uh, on the main review, uh, I gave I put out a poll on Twitter and gave people some choices as far as either Scorsese movies or movies about faith, uh, and I have found out through insidious sources that because of Mike, we are doing Raging Bull. He <laughs> uh, he went through all of his many Twitter accounts and voted many times just to show up Andrew from AB Film Review. Honestly, I'm impressed with his dedication. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, gotta give it to fried chicken. I mean, his petty knows no bounds. Like, really, that's what it amounts to. <laughs> I'm also to. impressed he has like 15 accounts. Don't Why? Don't impressed by that. Because he's always coming up with new ideas for podcasts. And if he comes up with an idea, he gets the Twitter account first. No, that's actually pretty legit. It's smart. That's smart. It's smart. Yeah. He'll never do them. Whatever. But, you know, there's like three of them supposedly. Monopolize that shit. Supposedly I was going to be involved in, and they just never got off the ground. Well, because you were supposed to be involved in them. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's all my fault. You're too I'm busy. Okay with that. Ugh, that's you don't got time true. for anybody or anything. That's, whoa, easy there. So, Sorry, bitter. Um, so, <laughs> grad school widow, anybody? Yep. So, we watched Raging Bull, which is actually a first time watch for both of us. This is one of those movies that's kind of been on my list to watch forever and just never got around to it. So, what did you think of Raging Bull? Okay, so... This is where Britt tells us, tells us it was awful. She looks nervous. Wait, no, there's, a, there's, a, there's a story first. And I'm She's gonna, like wringing her hands. I'm going to embarrass myself about this. Oh, okay. So, I think we made a mistake on watching this movie. Mainly because... Wait, uh, Mike. I was having... No, no, no. Not because of that. Because I was having problems with anxiety that day. <laughs> And um, we have discovered that because of my chronic pain, I don't describe things correctly. So Dave kept trying to check in with me, like, where's your anxiety? And I kept saying there was pressure in my chest because I apparently do not perceive pain in things correctly anymore for a normal human being. Um, and then yep. it took us about 30 minutes to figure out when I was saying pressure, what I meant was tightness. 
<laughs> and so we try to calm me down and watch like some comedy stuff and whatever. And we thought I was good. And then we're gonna we start were watching. Wrong. Yeah, we, we. And then we're gonna start watching the movie and like record that night. Well, I go into the kitchen to get a bowl of ice cream, and Dave's talking to me and follows me and hits the pan that's on the stove accidentally. It wasn't like I was trying to. No, no, no. Out. Yeah, it just it's a large pan handle sticking off the stove when it shouldn't have been. Um, and it scared me so bad, I cried. <laughs> So now when Do you Dave, tell them what it's called now? Yeah, so now so now that level of my anxiety is called the crying pan. Yes, the crying pan. I'm right. pretty proud of that. So th- this backstory is because before we started watching the movie, I took part of a Klonopin. Mm-hmm. So I now believe that some of my views of the movie are skewed. That's fine. Because I, mean, I had no feelings anymore. Thanks. All right. <laughs> All right. Now, so, to the movie. Uh, after you've now ex- excused away anything you say uh-huh. that people will be upset about, uh-huh. what did you think of Raging Bull? So, there's always going to be my personal bias of, right. like, I had... Bad ex, he likes Scorsese. Uh, well, that, but I was actually going to go with the abuse angle, but cool. Um, I always have issues with... With movies where people are really excited about it and say it's the best movie ever when, like, there was probably at least 30 minutes of women getting slapped around. And, like, I understand, like, I don't need to hear the argument if that was the time and it was No, no, I don't. That wasn't like what that. I was going to bring up. What I was going to bring up is the person who does that is not a likable character. No, I know. I know. But for me, personally, it's hard to have to sit through, like, two hours and 42 minutes or whatever it was. And, like, have large chunks of it. It was two hours and seven minutes. You was didn't it? watch Silence. It was two hours and seven minutes. Okay, Still again. Still down there, I was, kid. I was, I was on pills. I don't know. <laughs> um, what, however long it was. But I'm just saying, like, like so, like, that gets rough for me because when I see that, it, like, it causes, well, it should have caused more anxiety. Yeah. Uh, but at that point, I was just like, fuck this guy. I think <laughs> you're supposed to feel that. Right, I know. Sure. I um I think th- like as usual the acting's good. Uh he does weird artsy shit which gets on my nerves with some stuff. Like what? Um angles, way he mm. zooms in on stuff. That's the stuff I loved. Like um, the shot where he zooms in on the rope and you see the blood dripping off of it. I love that. I no, it's just it's it's not stuff like that. It's it's more the weird angles on people's faces mm-hmm. that annoy me or where he like stays on something for too long. Like I don't, I don't care. Why are we still looking at this? Can we move on? Okay. Um. So I mean, like, who that- did you think gave the best performances? When you said the performances were good, who was your favorite performance? Whether or not they were your favorite character or not. Um, the wife. Really, I really okay. liked. Um, why do you say it like that? Are you shocked? I, I was I surprised. You don't think that she was good? I in thought it? she was good. I just think Joe Pesci is incredible. In this well, movie. I was going to say Joe Pesci as well, but it took me a second because I, like, I couldn't remember the name. I was like, Joe something. Joe something. It's your I didn't fucking wanna... shine box. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to say it wrong. But I do think like she gets a lot of props because there's a lot of micro expressions and changes mm. on her face and, and posture when he's around that is very indicative of somebody who's been abused. Oh, yeah. Like just a little bit of like... Uh, like she just shies away. Yeah, like she'll like she'll yeah. like he'll get close and she'll just turn a shoulder. Yeah, like not her whole body, but just a shoulder would she'll like have move. to protect the face. Right. Yeah. So, like I th- I liked that that was at least real. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. I mean, not to say that the rest of the reactions weren't, but right. but they were small details that unless 
you knew somebody or have been would not like register that type of body language. Yeah, and it makes me wonder how much of that is good acting, how much of that is good blocking and directing. Like, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty impressive for Scorsese because it's pretty early in his career. I mean, this is like 1980. Right. So this is right after like Mean Streets and Taxi Driver. I want to. I want to know how did they shoot this? Did they like have him fat first? Pretty impressive, right? And then fit because he was way fit. Because there's no way like this is this scenes. is a time where he's in a fat suit. That is his nah. body, especially because they kept showing shots of him like right. topless when he was bigger, and it did not look like a fat suit to me. I don't, so, the nose was clearly fake. so. Apparently, <laughs> one of my like best acting parts is just his stomach. Like, <laughs> bravo! Yeah. yeah, good job. Way to get fat. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I, I just I was, got randomly distracted. By no, it. I was actually noticing that during the movie too. Because I was like, I had these moments where he's like, you know, early in his career and he's fighting. I'm like, damn, Robert De Niro was in shape. Right? Like, he okay. looked good. There was something that was off about his face for me. Did his they give him a nose? Oh, they did give him oh, a fake yeah, nose? Okay. For sure. Okay, but again, to be fair, I was high as fuck at that point. <laughs> so I kept having these moments of like, is it just because he's younger? Mm. Did they actually do something to his nose? Maybe they did something to his nose. I mean, I haven't looked it up, but I assume right. so. I mean, especially um, the later career stuff after he's, you know, taken thousand punches to the face right 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 this. yeah yeah so that definitely looked like a prosthetic okay the kissing in this movie kind of grossed me out though his little pecs no no, no like 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 uh like when they would like get really into kissing okay why when, did like, it i don't know okay so it makes me think of um oh shit the chick that was in cabaret liza minnelli okay uh like she like where's this going okay i'm gonna tell you i'm so interested so, <laughs> so there was this whole thing, where, like, when she got married, um, that, like, she got upset because her husband kissed her a certain way, right? And she was like, you can't kiss somebody like that for wedding pictures. And he didn't understand why. And she was like, because it feels good, but it looks awful. Oh, okay. And, like, that's what it makes me think of, is, like, like maybe the kissing felt great, but it looked like shit on camera. There were, uh, yeah, there were a couple shots uh, with him and his 15-year-old child bride. Oh, God. Nobody acknowledges. Right. It was also a really weird camera angle where he was, like, obscured by her hair, so it kind of looked like he was just literally eating her face. But it was like that with the two girls in the bar that he checks for their ID. I think that's supposed to look gross. Oh, is it? Well, because, like, they're underage and he's like, you know, oh, as long as you can prove that you're old enough. I also like that we never actually get it answered if she's fucked around or not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... To me, I mean, I'm of the opinion that she didn't, and she no. just finally had had enough. She would have been too like, scared to. Look at how yeah. much he fucking beat her. There it goes again. So, yeah, actually, that is the, I think to me, probably the most, it's the most memorable, the most powerful scene in the movie. The, you know, it starts out with the, you know, did you fuck my wife, which has become like almost a joke at this point. Right. Like Eddie Izzard did a whole bit about it, you know. Um, but it's it's a pretty powerful scene no, like, yeah, because I think the whole movie, like to me at least, just it went all the way down to insecurity. Like he just – no matter what he did, no matter how successful he became, he was constantly insecure and could not believe that anyone is trustworthy. Right. You know, and it just – But I mean that's, his brother. That's, all, that's also reflective of the fact that he wasn't trustworthy. So because he right. wasn't trustworthy, that means nobody else was. Right. And I think he especially – I mean clearly had issues with women – like there was some line that when he's talking to his brother, kind of talking about, you know, you put any woman in the wrong situation and they'll do something. Right. And yeah. it's just like, oh my God, you should never be married ever. 
neither should his brother. He was like doing shit on the side. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because compared to Jake, he seems like a pretty nice guy. You but know, he fucks around. But if if you if you kind of take that out of the equation, like he's kind of an asshole too. Mm-hmm. Like he's not the yeah, best. He, he told his wife to shut up. Like she she had no right to say anything, and right. like and then was like, "Don't mention this in front of her because I ain't taking her out." But then he but, was there with another girl. But he did not cold cock her in the face. Fair. So which like I. It takes a lot to like shock me in movies, but that moment actually shocked me. Well, yeah, usually, because a professional boxer hitting a very not, small woman. Not only a professional boxer, but usually when you see abuse in movies, you see men open-handed slapping women. Like, There's that's plenty usually, of that. Yeah, but you very rarely see someone like form a fist and punch someone in the jaw. Like that was like, oh Which my god, does happen. it does happen absolutely. Yeah. But it was genuinely kind of a shocking moment, and I think up until then, like, there's like yes, there are a lot of moments where you're like, this guy's kind of a prick. But never to the point where you're like, uh, this guy should be locked up for life. Like, this, this is an animal. Right. Like, but that moment is where everything turns. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's one of those moments that if you still like him after that moment, I don't feel like I could trust you. <laughs> you know? Like, right, yeah. Like, if you, you know, because, yeah, she did, she did say some awful things in order to get under his skin. But like, come on! He had already pushed the envelope. Yeah, I so mean that far. was that was so many years of him constantly accusing her. Like, of, right. of course you're gonna snap at some point and be like, "Yeah, sure, I fucked everybody." Yeah, exactly. Like, and his dick was bigger than yours. That <laughs> was great, maybe though. my favorite moment of the movie. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man!" And you have that moment as an audience where you laugh at that, but you're like, "Oh, she gonna get it. Like, mm. this is not gonna be good." I thought he was gonna throw her down the stairs. Yeah, I'm like honestly shocked she survived. Yeah, like I was just like. So what we usually talk about, or at least we did last time for our first kind of episode of this, is, is this a great movie? Or do you, let's let's put it this way, do you understand why people think this is a great movie? I understand why people think this is a great movie. Is it one of my favorites? No. Okay. So why do you think people think it's great? Well, first of all, people get stuck on the past. They do. Okay. They love movies that like like show like how great America used to be. It's true. Okay, I'm just not following how this shows how great America used to be. Because, okay, so I think it's because I grew up with a grandfather who was very much into boxing. Mm-hmm. And so there was, like, this whole thing about it being a man's man sport. And there was, like, like this code to it and, uh-huh. like, all that kind of stuff. There was There was a level of respect and understanding in that type of community. Sure. And I think, like... I mean, even now, we still kind of do that. I mean, we have the MMA fighters now and not so much on the boxing. But, like, I think that's just, like, something that people stick to of, like, oh, this this makes us great because we have this mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. you know? And sure. when we go back and look at the the great fighters or, like, you know, like, people who made history, okay, we get, like, stuck on this point of thinking, like, oh, this is so amazing – and, mm. like, sometimes don't look at the flaws right. that are happening. I think, I mean, to me, uh, what makes this a great movie is showing his flaws. And I'm actually kind of shocked that he was involved in this movie because he does not come out looking good. Yeah, but, like, I, I mean, like, considering he, where he was at the end of that movie, he probably just needed money. Yeah, I probably need the cash. That's, yeah. that's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, it, and you can, it's, it was interesting for me to watch because you can definitely see kind of the seeds of Scorsese's future work. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, all the, all the scenes at the Coca Cabana, like you could easily tie that to stuff, stuff that's going to show up in Goodfellas. And even of course, just using the same actors, like, oh, I recognize that guy, I recognize that guy. Um, 
but there's definitely some moments where you can see like as a director he had some room to grow right like he's a much more accomplished director when he does goodfellas than when he does raging bull although i do think this is a great movie i don't think it it comes close to being his best. No, but I think I think Scorsese is like a, a good example as a director, as somebody who's so stuck in the past and thinks it's so great because that's what he focuses on a lot of stuff. Like, he does show, like, people's flaws, right? obviously. I think he's just really focused on, uh, like, what you would call, like, a... Not really an anti-hero because they're not heroes, but, like, anti-villains, I guess. These people who are terrible but making them more human because I think it's easy for us to see gangsters as people who are just awful so to show them in a way that's like oh i see why people were attracted to this person but here let's still show this one thing like he's trying be. to make it more romantic yeah i could see that for sure and i think and i think that's what people get stuck on mm, okay. is because now it's like oh they're human mm-hmm. you know so do you have a favorite scorsese movie do you want me to go through a list yep of scorsese movies? okay okay uh, like probably maybe, maybe i don't know I will. Am I here for your entertainment? Oh, wait, I am this podcast. Yes, you are. So, I don't think you've seen Mean Streets. I haven't nope. seen that either. Um, Taxi Driver. Seen it. Uh, Raging Bull. Seen it. Last Temptation. Mm, seen it, unfortunately. <laughs> Goodfellas. Uh, Cape Fear, The Age of Innocence. Casino. Nope. Kundun. Nope. Uh, Bringing Out the Dead. Nope. Gangs of New York. Ish. Uh, the Aviator, The Departed, Shutter Island. Hugo. Is Departed the one where... Yeah, the headshots, yes. Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street and Silence. Okay, I haven't seen most of these, but I'm going to have to say out of those, Departed is my favorite. Then. Departed, okay. Yeah, cool. because that was, the first, like, that was the first time that I was legitimately shocked by the ending of a movie. Yeah, and that's Because I normally, I do normally pick them out and like have plots figured out pretty close to the end, so that was the first time that I was like, oh shit, he just did that. <laughs> that just happened. All right, uh, so that's the end of our section on Raging Bull. Um, so if you guys are big fans of it and we miss something, feel free to email me, popculturecasestudy at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter and tell me, at PCCaseStudy. So now we move on to the two the two fantastic films that are coming out that you can't wait to see. Get it together. Focus. <laughs> All right. So the first movie that's coming out is Rings, uh, which is, of course, a sequel to the Americanized version uh, the ring of the Japanese horror film Ringu. And I haven't seen any of these. If, not a single one of if them. If the table wasn't so far, I'd be banging my head against it right now. <laughs> All right. So um, I know nothing about this because uh, I didn't watch the trailer. You did. Um, I know that it was supposed to come out, I think, October, and it kept getting pushed back. So that's always a really good sign uh, when movies get pushed back for months. Uh, but it does star Vincent D'Onofrio, who I really like. Uh, so there's that. But you've seen the trailer. What do you think? You have to talk now. I don't want to. You gotta. What do you think? If it's bad, tell me why it's bad. Okay, so you haven't seen the first one, which makes this difficult. But I mean, I know the plot. Okay, okay. well, essentially, it's it, it feels like it's just the same plot being done over again, but slightly different. Okay. In the way that it's a horror sequel. Yeah, but I mean, it's you know now it's like if you if you know about the murder, then you get murdered. Ugh, I'm tired already. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the same fucking shit. Like you're gonna die in seven days. Hoorah. Hoorah? Is, like, are they Marines? They should be. That would be yeah. great. Um, the Maring? Maring. No, no. Oh. A terrible joke. I'm so tired. <laughs> so is there I anything good about the trailer? I want there to be vampire manatees in that. Okay. Is there anything <laughs> good about the trailer? 
anything to look forward to at all as like if if someone you're not a huge horror fan but if someone was is there something to look forward to here probably i mean like if you like the original one you're probably gonna get slapped in the face with nostalgia that's what it you feels mean if like you like the original american one or if you like the original, the original american one okay. yeah that's like i mm, don't get me started on what we do to actual proper horror movies <laughs> i don't um, know there's been some good horror movies in america the last four or five years no yeah there has Bob been but Duke, but it, i mean it follows hush it, they there but there have been some really fantastic japanese horror movies that americans got the right to and then screwed up goddamn right that's what we do we fuck shit up obviously look at us now america that's right all right so that's a big fat no that's a big fat no right. unless we're gonna be home getting drunk with flounder then i'll watch it no that sounds terrible like the last time all right uh, so, the second and last movie that's coming out, oh god, I fucking get tired just thinking about this movie, uh, The Space Between Us. So, The first human born on Mars I, travels to Earth for the first time, experiencing the wonders of the planet through fresh eyes. He embarks on an adventure with a street smart girl to discover how he came to that be. That bitch ain't street smart. No, Let me tell you right now. street dumb. Uh, but Gary Oldman is in it, and B.D. Wong is in it, and I like them, but this movie looks... Like hot garbage. Like it just looks so. I think I'm too old for this shit anymore. Yeah, I mean it's definitely like a YA I, type movie. But I even like YA stuff, and I'm tired of this. You like, like Divergent. <laughs> Dave wants me to throw his microphone across the room. That's what's happening right now. No, it just looks so sugary sweet. Like I just I can't. I, I feel like watching this trailer is going to give me a cavity. Like it's it's bad. Like, there's no surprises in it. There's, I mean, even the trailer. I'm also you know annoyed with that kid. Oh, Asa Butterfield? Yeah. Also in Hugo, which we'll be covering on the next episode of the he show. He should have stayed little. He should have stayed little. <laughs> what is he, a puppy? Oh my god, that's horrible. So, is there anything good about this trailer? Was there anything you liked? Other than maybe Gary Oldman showing up because you think he's hot. Gary Oldman and B.D. Wong, that's it. Those, that's are, it. That, like, those are probably the only reasons I would ever watch this movie. Right. And folks, that's why we're doing Oscar movies, because uh, late January, early February, fuck, it sucks, man. Terrible movies. When the best movie of, like, the last three weeks to come out is Gold, I'm like, you know. What? Really? Well, probably. I haven't seen it. I don't know. But it was the only one that looked like there were parts of it that might be interesting. Can I veto the movies you're allowed to watch? No. You can veto <laughs> the movies I watch with you. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so anything to add before we finish up? Anything about Raging Bull or about the movies coming out or anything you want to see that's out? I still want to see Hidden Figures. Okay. Um, there's like there's like three or four of them, but you can't remember because yeah. we haven't been doing anything because you've been gone. Yes, I've been traipsing around the, the West Coast, uh, getting stuck in snow everywhere I go. I'm like a, like a snow fairy. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's right. Try not to laugh. I see you. I see you about to burst. Snow fairy. The thing is, it is making me think of a burlesque act. Yeah, of course it is. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Um, so on our next episode, as I mentioned, we'll be taking a look at Hugo because I'm kind of a jerk. Uh, I tied Hugo with Lion because they're both about kids who get lost in a train station. Lion. Lion's a, it's what I told you about the kid from India who gets lost and ends up getting adopted by parents in Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're both yeah. movies where little boys get lost in train stations, uh, but handled very differently. So that's what we'll be doing on our next episode. So until then, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. Words are better, I'm
So here's the best slash worst thing about living in the Bay Area and knowing all these people from Kentucky. Whenever some bullshit happens in California, which is every day, I will get some angry texts. Like, randomly I got a text from Jared that just said, explain yourself. Like, that was the first thing. And I was like, what? And apparently he read this article and he showed it to me. There is this this place that is charging like $5 a slice for toast. In San Francisco, it's like oh, organic. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. Fucking California is awful. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> like people are fucking stupid and they have too much money. I don't. I don't know. I can't got, explain it. He got shit faced, drunk at my house last Saturday, and we were playing board games all day and just sitting there and drinking. And he started talking about the fucking toast, but he didn't give an intro to the story. And we're just like, dude, what are you angry about? What God's name are you talking about? He's like, fucking Dave and toast out there, man. It's just expensive toast. And so we had to like, all right, walk it back. And then he told us, but yeah, he was, I mean, he was drunk and it's not making oh, any that's sense, the but best. he's still angry about it. This is the stuff that needs to be recorded. Like that is. Don't don't give me that. Jared texts me all the time. Like, can you believe this fucking asshole Dave and all of his California bullshit? Um, so if I tell him if I tell him that you once had dyed hair and we're like you know dancing around to the soundtrack to Run Little Run, no, he'll, he'll, I told he'll you it up. ends at dyed hair. That was it. <laughs> no dancing, no clubs. That me, ain't let me, me. Let me finish that thought to Jared right now. Let me just go ahead and send <laughs> it out to him. <laughs> Dave just told me this Guess is what he used to do. Also, he loves toast. <laughs> <laughs> He says that you can actually taste the money you're spending on it. You can taste the difference. I actually buy slices of toast and tip them two dollars. <laughs> you tip people with toast. That's you know how expensive right. it is. That's right.